When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the Friday Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means from Cleveland.com are doing defensive assistance. We did offensive assistance earlier this week, did that on Tuesday. We did the big Wednesday pod. We did Jim Harbaugh and Michigan assistance on Thursday. And so now, here on Friday, we're doing the Ohio State defensive assistance. Nathan, do you find assistant coaches interesting to talk about, or are we kind of are we pushing the envelope with three assistant coach podcasts in one week here on Buckeye Talk? Well, it obviously wasn't necessarily planned that way, but the the Michigan thing kind of fell into our laps. I, I think people do find this interesting because I think I guess you're not asking that. I think you're asking whether I find it interesting. Well, um, no, no. I, I mean, to be fair, <laughs> I'm asking whether you find it interesting on behalf of the people who are listening, who yeah. frankly matter much more than you. So I think it's, it's, it's interesting that we go – I will say this. When we're doing the grading, it's my natural inclination. I think you even referenced this when we did the offensive one to, like, add some nuance to it and be like, well, it's, he's really not a – he's not a C, but is he a B? Like, he should be a B-. minus, And we go with the start grades – and I think that kind of forced you to take a stand on some things and put some things in perspective. So I think it is interesting. It's not, it's not something that anybody should overreact to, though. And I think we bake into some of our – like with Corey Dennis, right? When we did the offensive one and we all kind of gave Corey Dennis a C, but it wasn't like – that wasn't really like a criticism of him. So as long as we're, like, providing the proper context, I think it's a good vehicle. Might have, that might have been a criticism by me. But I know what you're saying. Some of it is this – you still don't have a great way of understanding – how to really evaluate some of these guys in, in but, some ways. And we, we recognize that. Yeah, we, it wasn't necessarily a criticism of his job performance, though. It was a criticism of his hire still, his right? His existence is a criticism. Anyway, we've already litigated that. Yeah. People can go back and, and listen to that on Tuesday. I think it's funny how we consistently call them middle managers and they're not that important, and yet we're basically spending an entire week talking about their importance. Well, no, I would actually – well – we're talking about how good they are at their job, which oh, yeah, is different than how important they are. Yeah, because, it's fine. What we're doing is fine. It's just kind of but some of the, some of the texters pointed that out too. It's like we're spending a lot of time on assistant coaches, and then we basically call them middle managers. But yeah, the way we're doing it is fine. It's just funny to see how this week is going. I will say, well, we don't talk about them that much. Otherwise, I'm yeah. willing to give people that I think uh, are are 
eminently replaceable, like one podcast a year or two podcasts a year. I'm okay with that. By the way, I have an answer. We have a particular uh, grade for a certain coach that I am very excited to share and that I think you guys will enjoy uh, one of the grades in particular um, when we get to that. But let's start with the big one. Kerry Combs, which is practically the reason we're doing this, because as we said, and you guys know, Greg Madison retired, so there's only currently four assistants on the defensive staff. Greg Madison was the co-defensive coordinator, helped out at linebackers this year. He's retiring after two seasons, so it's Kerry Combs, Larry Johnson, Al Washington, and Matt Barnes. And we do have a question for the texters at 614-350-3315. We did get something from them on the type of coach they think Ryan Day should hire to replace Madison, which is just that we kind of already talked about that on a podcast as well. So I just wanted to see where texters were on that. But let's start with Kerry Combs and his overall grade. What would you give him, Nathan? Kerry Combs, and this is, it's not complicated, but it is, we are simultaneously evaluating him kind of on what he's been in his career here, which he still is doing, which is recruiting and de- developing guys in the secondary. But now he's also the defensive coordinator. So he's being evaluated on multiple fronts. What's your Kerry Combs grade, Nathan Baird? I think it is complicated. It's not an easy one to come to because in some ways you look at it and say, well, he's a defensive coordinator and the defense was, I think, consistently the, the, the problem that was kind of looming behind this team in a lot of ways. And, and in particular, the secondary was, and he's a secondary coach. So those things directly reflect on him. But the thing is, we would have guessed all of those things to be true before they ever hired Kerry Combs a year ago this time, right? So how much of that does he get blamed for? How much are you then also giving him credit for the recruiting that's coming in and some of the, the, the guys that they've been able to land as defensive backs since he got here? So I'm giving him a C, but it's the it's the grade that I wish if I had more nuance to it, it'd probably really be more like a B minus. Okay. Steven, we'll go with your grade first before we have a deep discussion. I gave him an A. This team got to a national championship. And the reason they lost the national championship isn't because the defense couldn't stop Alabama. Nobody could stop Alabama. It's because Ohio state scored 24 points. My predicted score was 55 to 22. So if the offense had done its part, there's a chance that Ohio State still would have won that game. It had nothing to do with them not being able to slow down two Heisman Trophy finalists and a Doug Walker Award winner. I think he did exactly what he needed to do in year one. That team, the defense didn't hold Ohio State back from, getting to, from winning the Big Ten and getting back to the playoff and beating Clemson and getting to the national championship game. Along the way, he's added five or six top 200 defensive backs to that room and basically reloaded a room that had a bunch of recruiting books for two or three years after he left. So I think in year one, given the circumstances, he did a pretty swell job. And I know that Alabama game is a, is a stain in everybody's mind, but take that away for a second. This was a pretty good year for Kerry Combs. So the thing that – okay, I'll give my grade. I, I would probably give him a B, but, again, I'm the one who sends out the thing, and it has to be a harsh thing. I would lean – Far more towards A than I would C. If I could give him an A minus, I think I'd give him an A minus. So I definitely would give him a B plus. Maybe I should just give him an A, but I'll give him a B. But I will say the textures were a little, not harsh, but they were a little firm with the grading here. 51% B for Kerry Combs, 39% C, 6% D, 3% A, 1% F. So 
twice as many people gave Kerry Combs a D as gave him an A. His overall GPA was a 2.45. It's like a solid C. So even though he got more than half the people giving him a B, that 6% D really dragged it down. Here's, I think, I, I don't know if we've talked about this in, this in these terms. Nathan, if you think, if Jeff Halfley would have remained at Ohio State for a second year instead of taking the Boston College job, do you think, just that move alone, do you think this defense in 2020 would have been vastly better than it was? No. Neither do I. But at the end, but then that's what that's why I was saying it's complicated because then you still have the the job performance at the end of the day. So then how do you judge that? Well, but is it about the coach? So the question is about we're trying to and, and and yes, I agree with what you're saying because how do we judge a coach? We judge a coach by the performance of the group he's in charge of. So I mean, what a, what other thing do we have to judge by? But Jeff Halfley, who everybody thought did a great job, had Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, Damon Arnett, Jordan Fuller, Malik Harrison. Davon Hamilton and a bunch of dudes. Kerry Combs did not have those guys came in. Now also like, you know why Jeff, this is again, this is why Combs is so super complicated. You know why Jeff Halfley, Jeff Halfley had Jeff Okuda because of Kerry Combs. You know why Kerry Combs had some holes in the secondary he inherited because nobody developed Tyreek Johnson while he was gone. So I think a C is pretty harsh here because it goes back to, and we don't need to rehash all of it, I think a greater issue with the defense in 2020 was personnel, not coaching. And Kerry Combs was brought here in part to fix the personnel issues, to get that secondary recruiting going again. So I was a little, Stephen, are you surprised that he has a 2.45, that people are kind of like between a B and a C on him, even 6% giving him a D, or given sort of the reaction since the end of the year, especially the reaction to the defense and against Alabama, is that where we figured people were? No, because I think a lot of when people are thinking about how would you grade an assistant coach's performance, they're thinking about what happened on the field the last season. And they're adding the fact that this was the first time he's ever been a play caller. And I think, it, but to the point that we've already been discussing, if you throw anybody in that circumstance, it's the same thing. So it's, I don't necessarily think it's an indictment on Kerry Combs. It's just a situation he was put into. And all you can think about is Devontae Smith had 200 plus receiving yards and a half. Ty Freifogel did whatever he wanted. And Wap Filio did whatever they wanted when Ohio State played Indiana. And, and Jahan Dotson catching a one-handed pass on Sean Wade. And so those two together have been kind of tied in this. Every big play you think happened to this defense happened to a secondary. And you're not thinking – I don't think there's a lot of big-picture thinking of it, which is like why I'm not surprised the grade is that low. And until you take a step back and realize, wait a minute, this personnel wasn't very good. And the personnel he has coming – he immediately fixed it, the recruiting, the cornerback recruiting, immediately, within two months – they had a top 100 guy, and then within another three months after that, they got another guy, and they just got a five-star guy for 2022. So when you take a step back and look at it, I think more people would give him a better grade. But when you're just thinking in the moment of everything that happened this year, no, it's not a surprise that people are a little down on him. So I would probably give him an A from a recruiting standpoint, but what are you, what are you grading him on as far as the team's defensive performance that is worthy of an A? It just – well, it matters um... – how much you put that on him, I guess. Because uh, to the point of, did Ohio State have an A-level defense this year? No, 
right? That's your point, Nathan. Would anybody would if you said what was the grade for how Ohio State's defense played? Nobody would say A, not when they ranked in the one twenties or whatever in in raw pass defense numbers. So to that point, you have a point. It's just a matter of of how you apply that to the coach. I think maybe with some better play calls, he could have raised the level of and the thing too. Listen, it's it's like the talent's not that great compared to Ohio State at its peak, right? I mean, they still have a lot of good. I mean, Pete Werner's going to get drafted and Jonathan Cooper's going to get drafted and Sean Wade's going to get drafted. And, you know, Josh Proctor's a talented player and Baron Browning's going to get drafted. We get it. But it's compared to what Ohio State typically has. So, I mean, Nathan, we you you have a point. But also, in only playing eight games and having like a, a couple weird second halves and having – you know, 25% of the games they played that go into their stats were played against Trevor Lawrence and Mac Jones and Devontae Smith. Mm-hmm. That brings the numbers down, right? That I know what you're saying, which is why I guess I would land at a B. It's like maybe you give a C to how the defense played on the field, but in how Kerry Combs did many parts of his job, you give a higher grade than that. But I don't know. I, I mean, so you're – are you reconsidering your C at all? Or is it sort of like, listen, man, maybe it's a little bit like of an unfair C. Maybe that's – not. I yes. don't want to put words in your mouth. But no, it's still a C. This is the test. Oh, we have the test, and this is what you got on the test. I, I think it's, like, it's almost what I – it's how I introduced it, right? I said, well, like, maybe this really should be more of a B minus, but if you have to make me pick one, I'll pick a C. I guess that's more of along the lines I was thinking. It's almost to me like you take two students and one of them, like – has a part-time job and also runs track and then they have the, the the kid next door who doesn't do any extracurriculars he just comes home and studies they still have to take the same test at the end of the week and you kind of grade them on how that test went and I, I feel like Kerry Combs is more like that first kid I think he had a lot of hats to wear a lot of plates to juggle whatever other uh cliche you want to throw in there um but at the end of the day did he I don't know that I guess the defensive performance was exactly what I would have expected. I think to get a higher grade, he would have maybe needed to push that higher from a coordinator perspective. I think there were some position groups that, that where that happened and I graded accordingly, but I don't know if I felt like that was happening from like the, the scheme of the defense. I just think in a world where the defense did exactly what we thought it was going to be this year. I don't think we can sit here and say that's the reason why they're not national champions. Well, and I do think I, the point could be, listen, if you had a world beater as a schemer, maybe you scheme up some stuff that make up for some of the deficiencies, right? And that didn't happen. I think people would agree, well, that didn't happen. But if it's like, okay, well, guys got beat or you did this, you know, why couldn't you cover Devontae Smith? And yeah, we know the play where Tough Borland wound up on him. But other times it's like, well, you just didn't really have a guy again, you know. You had a key third down where a true freshman in Lathan Ransom, who had barely played, is covering Jalen Waddell. It's like, is that Kerry Combs' fault? I don't know. I don't think so. So I think we agree where we are here, which is muddled. And I think there's a case for a C. I think there's a case for an A. And I think probably somewhere in the middle. There's it, But it's a, it is a very complicated grade. And, and I want to go to this question because I asked two more questions about Kerry Combs. If these were the two choices for Ryan Day on the defensive staff, which would you pick? These are two choices. And there's a second question with different choices. Choices here. Keep Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator. That's choice number one. Choice number two is find a new defensive coordinator that you make a hire in the Madison spot that you're saying, now this is your defense. Now maybe Kerry Combs has a co, but it's like, who's really in charge? There's always somebody in charge among the co's. And you hire somebody who's now in charge. 
But Kerry Combs stays. Kerry Combs is now, is now what he was before. Maybe he has an assistant head coach title. Maybe he has a co-defensive coordinator title. But he's mostly this is a secondary coach who recruits and develops secondary players. But you have a new defensive coordinator. So those are the two choices. Keep Combs as he is or hire a new defensive coordinator and basically make Combs a position coach again. Nathan, what do you think the breakdown was on what people picked they would rather have happen between those two choices? I think it was probably a divided electorate. Steven, what do you think? Divided electorate is a good way to phrase it. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably you, split. You guys think it's pretty split. Yeah. If not 50, 50, pretty 55, close. 45, yeah. something like that. 60% which one? Which one got 60? Get a new defensive coordinator and Combs is on staff or keep Combs? Which one got 60? New guy. Keep, keep, keep carry. Keep. I was a little surprised given again, because the, the, the change people are always a little noisier, which is great. Yeah, yeah. And we've gotten 60% said still keep him, keep him over, keep him as DC over just being a position coach. I thought that was pretty good for Kerry Combs. Cause if I would have guessed, I would have said, well, cause that's a pretty good choice. You keep the best. There's a part of Kerry Combs' job that nobody has any doubts about, which is recruiting and developing secondary mm-hmm. talent. There are zero people in the world who have any questions about Kerry Combs as a position coach. He's one of the best position coaches that I've covered at Ohio State. No doubt about it. He's one of the top five. No doubt about it. Ohio State right now on this current staff has two of the best five position coaches in my time here. No doubt about it. In Kerry Combs and Larry Johnson. So there's, that's the easy thing to pick. Because the thing – and then you don't know really what he's going to be like as a coordinator. So still 60% saying keep him – was higher than I thought. So then this is not quite as interesting. If these are the two choices, and then this scenario, Combs will not stay if he's not the defensive coordinator. Which would you pick? Keep Combs or find a new defensive coordinator and Combs is no longer on staff. So you either keep him or you lose him. Nathan or or Steven, you're shaking your head. What do you think the breakdown was for this? What percent of the people said keep him? What said lose him altogether? I don't think this one's close. I think at worst it's 70-30, keep Combs. Because, I mean, you lost Combs before and you saw what happened. So, keep Yeah, Combs. I think it's, it's probably even more like 75-80% people wanting yeah. to keep him under that. Maybe even higher. 92 to 8. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, this is people – this is coming around on like, listen, it's a little split. But, like, if a push comes to shove – and I don't want to put – what am I going to say? I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth. That's what a podcast is. I'm not so sure this wouldn't be the situation because again, to be a position coach, he was a position coach in the NFL. Why would he come back to college to be, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, like I kind of, Ryan day didn't get him back here by saying, do you want to come back and have the job you had before? He got him back here by saying, do you want to come back with a promotion and do something you've never done before? So Nathan, this is where my head is on this, that this is actually the choice. I don't think keeping Kerry Combs as only a position coach is actually a choice. If Ryan Day said, listen, man, I love you. As a position coach, you're the best I've ever seen, but we just didn't get it done schematically. I'm hiring somebody in Madison's spot, then he's going to call the shots. I would love for you to stay. I would love for you to stay. We need you, but we just can't have you doing that. I don't think Kerry would stay, Nathan. And it's not like I've talked to Kerry about that. That's just an assumption from reading the situation. Well, it's an assumption you can get from reading their contract, too. They're not going to pay $1.4 million to a secondary coach. 
and, and hire a defensive coordinator on top of that. Like there's just yeah. some logistical realities here that, that don't add up. He's still got another year left on, I think at least one year left on the defensive coordinator contract. So no, that that's not the option. Uh, Kerry Combs will be the defensive coordinator of this team next year, but that leads into some other questions that you have asked. And I assume we'll go to those soon. And, and, and the point is, I mean, even if it was like, well, it's logistically, it's too late for him to move to a job now. And if you did this right, if, if Ryan day hires, whatever, a new defensive coordinator and just tells Combs, listen, we're paying you the same, but you're not the defensive coordinator anymore. It might be too late for him to get a new job now, but he would definitely leave after next year. And it would be weird this year, probably. Right. So, yeah. And I think, you know, Steven's not wrong when he talks about how we expected there to be problems with the defense. We expected there to be specifically problems in the secondary and that played out. So that's the other thing to factor into this is that I don't think Ryan Day probably looks at that. I mean, even if you're even if you're disappointed in the way things were called in the Alabama game, I think there's a certain reality that we've talked about already a bunch of hours on this podcast that that plays into that. So, um, I mean, I, there are some specific decisions that were made with the secondary, whether that was the safety decision, whether that's how they played some certain things. He definitely that is on Kerry Combs at the end of the day, yeah. but. But what you're saying about the talent is true, and I think that goes into the overall. They're not going to make a defensive coordinator switch because he didn't come in and rescue this team. I think that would have been asking too much. Rescue the secondary even. It is interesting. It's a quick contrast, for instance, between what we talked about, like with the new Michigan hire, right? That Mike McDonald guy who they hired from the NFL, who's a young guy to be the new defensive coordinator. He's never recruited in college, and it feels like they – hired a bunch of great recruiters and then a schemer to run it. And Kerry Combs is known as a great recruiter and developer. We're not sure about him as a schemer. It's an interesting, like in the world where you now do have 10 assistants, the idea of like hiring like the ultimate schemer who you really don't put a lot of recruiting responsibilities on. And then you put a lot of great recruiters around him. That's an interesting way to go about it. We're here at Ohio State. And, but part of it is Kerry Combs is so good. He deserves a promotion. He demands a promotion. Right, because if Ohio State didn't hire him as a defensive coordinator, he, somebody else would. He's that good. He would revolution. I mean, if Tom Allen, you know what? what I'm, I'm trying to think. You know, Tom Allen lost his defensive coordinator this year and had to hire somebody else. If they could have hired Kerry Combs as defensive coordinator, say run the defense, or Luke Fickle loses Marcus Freeman, he hires Mike Tressel, Jim Tressel's nephew, left Michigan State to be Luke Fickle's new defensive coordinator at Cincinnati. If Kerry, like, you know what, like if, if Luke said, Kerry, do you, you could, I'll, you're, it's your defense, he'd revolutionize it. So he's so good, you've got to give him a shot, but he's not known as a schemer. Doesn't mean he can't do it, but he's not known as that right now. Let's do the other secondary grade quickly. What's your overall grade for Matt Barnes? These were the choices that I gave for Matt Barnes to grade him. I did not give these choices when I did Corey Dennis, and people said, I kind of wish you had given this as a choice. A, B, C, D, F, and I have no stinking idea. It wasn't incomplete. So that would be on the report card. That would be you get a, an I-H-N-S-I. I have no stinking idea of how to grade this kid. Nathan, what do you think? How many people voted I have no stinking idea when it comes to trying to grade Matt Barnes, who was the special teams coach and the assistant secondary coach? I, I think a pretty sizable amount, maybe like 35 40%. What do you say, Steven? I'd go higher. <laughs> Maybe like 70%. He's harder to grade than Corey Dennis is. <laughs> yeah, it's 48%. Basically okay. half the people said, I have no idea. And then everybody else was split between B and C, which is like another indication of I have no idea. 
So it was 48% no sticking idea, 25% B, 24% C, 2% D, 2% A. So they have no idea. I'm not sure we have that much of a better we idea. Don't. We don't. And let me tell you I, why. And last year, 2019 season, back when things were normal and we were in the Woody doing press conferences, I think we got him during the season and everybody was, before he came in, we're all looking around like, so do we ask this guy special teams questions or do we ask him secondary questions? And is he going to know the answer to these secondary questions? So yeah, they have no idea. We have no idea. I mean, Ryan Day knows what he's doing, but okay, I guess. He's had some recruiting successes, but he's responsible for Jansen Dunn. That's all I know. And he does do some things in recruiting, right? Yeah. So he has had some guys, right? So, so let's give us a, a 30 seconds or a minute on that. When you say he's responsible for Jansen Dunn, what do you mean by that? He provided a, a very solid a, um, transition from when Jeff Halfley left to when Kerry Combs left. I think it was a little bit more collaborative when it was Jeff Halfley and Matt Barnes where Jeff Halfley handled a lot of the corners, you know, which is why you know, the kid who ended up flipping to Utah – flipped when Jeff Halfley left but a lot of the safeties that was Matt Barnes's job and one of the first ones he really keyed in on was Jansen Dunn in the 2022 class because I asked him that like when I would talk to these secondary guys I'd go hey what was your first interaction with Kerry Combs just to see if I can get a cool antidote about what it's like to talk with Kerry Combs when it's just one-on-one and not necessarily a room full of people with all that energy and he was like actually no Matt Barnes is the reason I'm here he he kind of laid that foundation and obviously eventually he had to talk with Kerry Combs as well but Pat Barnes I think kind of held some things together and allowed for that success in in the in April and May to happen in the secondary because Matt Barnes kind of held it together so he he, he wasn't the primary for a lot of these guys but once Jeff Halfley left he kind of took over that role and clearly succeeded. Nathan do you have (laughs) that's all I got do you have have anything to add on Matt Barnes I mean again I mean it's he's and it's the way they split it up, I mean, there was a time when Ohio State had a safeties coach and a cornerbacks coach, and the way they phrased it now is, like, there's a secondary coach, and then Matt Barnes is the assistant secondary coach. So as maybe he sort of has more of the safeties, but he's sort of like the only assistant that doesn't have his own position group, which just, again, muddies the waters a bit. I disagree that we have less to judge him on than we do Corey Dennis. I think I have a, a, a better idea of the job performance that Matt Barnes did this year, partially because he has so many different duties. I mean, when Ohio State – um, had its you know four-year punter suddenly become unavailable for the Big Ten Championship game. They threw a walk-on in there, and he did fine. When they had to go to their gray shirt kicker for multiple games this year, including the national championship game, he did fine. Um, when you know, so I, I can give you ways that I thought that there were that things that you would put on the special teams coordinator if they went wrong. I think certainly, um, I have to give him credit for when they go right now. The, the Rutgers game is also a fiasco, and I put that on the special teams coordinator. He is the assistant secondary coach, so it's the one position, the one the one group on defense where you have two coaches dedicated to it, and that was still a group whose performance lagged behind all season um, in, in multiple ways, including some of the decisions that they made personnel-wise. And I don't know at the end of the day if that's – obviously, I think at the end of the day, that's Kerry Combs and Ryan Day making those decisions, but he has input because we asked him about the difference between Hooker and, and – um, Proctor at one point and he was the one kind of driving the bus for hooker at that point so I I came out with a C because I think I I I found I was tallying it up and I'm that sounds like a cop-out answer but I really do think it kind of balances out that way for him just the things that were demonstrated this season I think that's a really good breakdown because honestly again in the end if there's what the safety position it feels like they picked the wrong guy 
to start the year or something, or at least whatever. Maybe that guy was playing better in practice, but they wound up changing that position by the end of the year, which didn't really happen at anywhere else, right? I mean, it wasn't like by the end of the year, I don't know, that they like they benched Nicholas Petit Frere and put in Dewan Jones because they figured out, oh, shoot, we picked the wrong guy, right? Or, or something happened. And that would be the position that Mike Barnes is most responsible for. But I think your special teams point, I think, is important, Nathan, because if they – if they lost a game because of special teams, we'd be like, Matt Barnes, where, what you, what are you doing? Well, think about that Big Ten championship game. If that guy had come in and just crapped his pants, um, and we'd be thinking, like, why didn't they have another punter ready? Because that game was that close for a lot of that game that, like, one botched punt could have decided that game. Frankly, let's look back on it. Like, that could have happened. So the fact that that guy came in and you almost didn't notice the difference between him and Drew Chrisman, and I, I feel bad I'm forgetting his name now off the top of my head. But like that's it's uh, Hoover. Dunk, yeah, Hoover, Hoover. Yeah, yeah. Um, from Toledo. Yeah. I, I, so the fact, like, again, it's one of those things. Like, if you're gonna if you're gonna rip him, if it had gone wrong, you have to give him credit that it went right. I think that's a very good point. And even kicker and punter recruiting. Jake Sabert was the number two kicker in the country when he went and got him. And then uh, Jesse Mirko. I mean, he, Cameron Johnson. We know what that is. So uh, it seems like there, Ohio State's in good hands. He's flipping bottles already like Drew Christmas, so they see him in good hands on special teams. And that stuff matters. That stuff matters. And, again, that was a time when that, that was Kerry Combs' deal, that the, the year that they were scrambling for a punter and Kerry Combs was like, hey, I found – we need a punter and I found this guy in Australia. I don't know. We're going to try him. And it was Cam Johnston. And it was like that was Kerry Combs' job back then. So that, that special teams job is one of those things that – kind of feels like it's not the hugest thing in the world, except when it's the hugest thing in the world. As you said, when it's like, hey, we need a good punt right now in the third quarter of the Big Ten championship game, or we might lose. Then your special teams coach really matters. So that's, that's enough of a – I think that's a fair breakdown on Matt Barnes, actually. That was better than I thought. Well done, you two. Well done. I think we learned about Matt Barnes in the last five minutes. What grade would you I, give us for the grade that we gave Matt Barnes? Yeah. I would. That was you both for the Matt Barnes. I should have been grading you each on each breakdown, and then at the end we'd have like ten grades. You both get an A for the Matt Barnes breakdown, but the Matt Barnes breakdown is actually more like a, it was like a pop quiz. It wasn't like a unit test at the end of the year. Yeah. So it was only out of like 20 points. It wasn't out of 100 points. It was based off the one little section of the book that we went over once and half the class was asleep. Yeah. If you knew one day you were going to throw a pop quiz on and the day that in college where half of the kids decided not to show up and use that one day as one of their three that they can miss a class. But when I say, okay, guys, special teams pop quiz – some people could have gone, oh, yeah. no. And you guys are like, oh, no, yeah, we got this. Um, all right, we got to talk money real quick when we get back because that's an important component of, the, of this that we didn't exactly touch on, actually, in the Offensive Assistant Podcast. I want to touch on it briefly before we get to Al Washington and Larry Johnson. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Doug, Nathan, Steven, Nathan, I do think on some level you have to grade some of these assistants on a little bit of a sliding scale based on how much money they make. So that one of the things with Matt Barnes is that Matt Barnes in 2020 made 450000 as his base salary, which was the second lowest on the staff, only ahead of Corey Dennis, who is so young, right? So I expect less of Matt Barnes because he's making four fifty. Al Washington's making five fifteen. Larry Johnson's making 1.1 million and Kerry Combs is making 1.4 million. Right. So that's part of it. Like Matt Barnes, nobody expects Matt Barnes to be as good as Kerry Combs, right? He doesn't have the exact responsibilities and he's making 
less than half as much. So I do think the money matters a little bit. Just to run through again the entire assistant coaching staff in 2020, what it was. Kerry Combs, 1.4. Greg Madison, 1.1. Kevin Wilson, 1.2. Larry Johnson, 1.1. Greg Studrawa, 700,000. Tony Alford, 618,000. Brian Hartline, 550,000. Al Washington, 515,000. Matt Barnes, 450. Corey Dennis, 300. And I said they were spending too much money on assistance. Big surprise that I wrote that back then. But I'll, I'll write it again when the new contracts come out this year. All right, let's go to Larry Johnson because Larry Johnson is, again, kind of kind of easy because he's Larry Johnson. It's like this is one where I think everybody knows the subject matter on this. Stephen, what percent of the people do you think gave Larry Johnson an A? 95. 95. Nathan. Yeah. I think it's high. I don't, know if I, I don't know if it's that high, but I'll say like 85. Yeah, in between. Good guesses. Yeah. As we're on it today. 87. 87% A, 13% B. And that's basically it. One person actually gave him a D, which I think, again, might have been a miss, a miss hit. Um, but part of it, I mean, the, the one thing is here, too, if he was coming off a season where Chase Young was here, I think maybe he would have gotten 100% A's, right? Again, which is, Nathan, part of that is, it's like, well, it's not fair to judge coaches off personnel, except the whole point is to judge course, you know, because Chase Young is here for because of Larry Johnson, and so is Tyreek Smith, and so is Zach Harrison, and so is Jonathan Cooper, and so you do get judged off of it. I do think, and just and this is supposed to be an overall grade, but Jonathan Cooper had a great year, and we've covered that. Zach Harrison had a good year, did not have the spectacular breakout year that maybe some of us expected. I think Tyreek Smith, by the end of the year, was playing really, really well. He didn't have a Bosa or a Chase Young. I don't know, should that really affect, though, how we view Larry Johnson at all? Because I did think maybe some of us thought that Zach Harrison or Tyreek Smith would make a leap to almost that level, and I don't think anybody would say they did, which is a super high bar, but it's a weird year. I don't know. It's not like it's Larry Johnson's fault. Did, do you find Larry Johnson complicated at all to evaluate off a season like this? No. I, I thought this was a really easy A. And I, I think he gets some benefit of the doubt, right? He's one of, Based on his track record, you would say, well, if that season was there for Tyreek Smith or Zach Harrison to get under those circumstances – then Larry, what other coach besides Larry Johnson would have gotten them there? So maybe they just wasn't in the cards for those guys this year. And we also that that's a, that's a point well taken. But let's not forget what he did with those tackles this year. That was a that was a position that we thought was going to maybe be a hole, or at least I did. I said it on this podcast. I was like, I'm really. I thought that was maybe going to be a hole in the middle of this defense, and it turned out to be arguably the strength of this defense was the the consistent play of those two defensive tackles all season. Yeah, I think all this defensive line did this season is remind people that sacks are actually hard. And you're not supposed to just easily get 8, 10, 12, 16 and a half sacks. That's not how this goes. I, I think yeah, this we've been spoiled in being able to watch Bosa brother, Bosa brother, Chase Young. And we'll see what Zach Harrison does next year. But then Jack Sawyer's coming and maybe JT Tumalau is coming. And then maybe Brendan Vernon's coming. I mean, this, this isn't going to stop. He went and got Jack Sawyer early, locked him in early in Fort, and made him the leader of a class. And he went and got Mike Hall before he was a top 50 guy that we're thinking might 
contribute as a true freshman. He was still on the rise at that point. He went and got Tyreek Williams out, out of Virginia, and he might get Tumala. That's two of the top three defensive ends in the country. The recruiting is great. They, the defensive line had a pretty solid year outside of the fact that they weren't able to get home, which that's a discussion for another day, but I have a theory on why that was. Um, but for the most part, this was a great year for Larry Johnson. No complaints. Three A's then, right? I mean, three A's. He's Larry Johnson. He's as, he's as good of an assistant coach as college football has ever seen over a long period of time. Um, and I did – there was something – so it's the Senior Bowls going on right now. And so, if, you know, on Twitter and on the Internet, you're catching some flashes of people putting up drills from the Senior Bowl. And somebody put up a quick video of, like, like Jonathan Cooper doing a pass rush drill. And they were saying, look, Jonathan Cooper looks good at the Senior Bowl. And I watched the clip, and it was like, oh, he's just doing that hand stuff that Larry Johnson teaches. It's like, no oh, look, he has that advanced hand fighting technique that you get down there, and it's like, oh, yeah, not everybody has that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's just Larry Johnson. And it's like, you never – you don't ever – here's a thing where I think it's – and maybe this is fair or not fair. I don't think it's happening at all yet. But when you've been around for a long time and you reach a certain age, I do think in every, in every area of life you start to look for, is there a decline? right? Is the person just not on top of it as much as they were just because of how life works? And I don't know if you, you know, you're not, you don't need to be hyper-focused on that with Larry Johnson, but maybe you're kind of wondering about it versus you don't want to take for granted the fact that like the guy just is phenomenal at teaching technique and developing relationships. So I do think in the end, the point you guys have made, you know, nothing that happened this year is a sign that Larry Johnson does not doing his job at a high level he continues to do his job at a very high level he's an a his overall grade 3.86 based on uh you know doing the math on all that stuff which is a little heartline was a little higher and if i can keep everything straight I'll, I'll read them at the end uh the full grades for everybody but brian heartline was more like a three brian heartline was a 3.96 larry johnson is a 3.86 so I think if we would have said coming into this, which two assistant coaches will get the overall highest grade, I think, I think we all would have been united in that. So let's get to the guy who I think is probably the most interesting guy here because Johnson is Johnson, Combs is Combs, except he's now a coordinator. Matt Barnes, it's hard to tell. Al Washington is still relatively new. It's only two seasons here at Ohio State. He's still on the rise as a coach. He's still on the rise as a recruiter. Al Washington what do you think, Nathan, which grade do you think got the most votes for Al Washington? Um, that's a great question because I, I, I think it's probably pretty close between A and B. I'll, I'll say A because people factoring in the recruiting and what's coming in. Stephen, what do you think got the higher vote? Which grade? I think B might have because Tough Borland exists. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to be completely honest with you, I hate this. I feel like I'm giving out too many A's with this defense, but it, it is what it is. I, yeah, I think B won. So what did you give him, Steven? I gave him an A because, I mean, the recruiting the, – the revamp is coming. The, the ability to say that you actually are trying to be versatile is coming. And then, obviously, like you just said, they're showing some clips of guys at the, at the uh, Senior Bowl. Baron Browning looks awesome in some of these clips, but also I just think they were a sound group two years ago – they were the biggest problem on this defense. And I don't think once this entire year we ever had a question about the linebackers. I agree. Nathan, what'd you give him? I gave him an A. I thought that he, there was maybe no group where you felt like 
they were getting the most out of those guys. Like we don't really have, I don't think you looked at linebackers the same way as you do the defensive ends, right? Where you're like, you know, we thought those somebody might break through and be really specialized group. I mean, I think maybe the linebackers weren't like phenomenal, but I feel like you looked at that group and thought you can go all the way down to Justin Hillier. Like they got the most out of those guys. He kept, he's helped keep this junior class to be seniors here and keep them engaged and ready to take over this in 2021. And then again, you've got what three top 50 linebackers coming in next year or whatever. Yep. Um, I mean, that's, that's gotta go for something. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, the recruiting point is a great one and we'll have Steven cover it again really quickly, but it's not here yet. It's not in the class that signed yet. It's still coming. Correct. So it's Correct. a little mm-hmm. off in the distance, which might affect Change. how people grade him. Yep. And then also there's still a little remnants of like the Bill Davis era here that like, you know, there, there wasn't, I mean, tough Borland and Pete Warner were not top 100 national guys. Right. So it's like, I mean, they wound up being three year starters here, but if their natural talent level is a little bit below, you know, Raekwon McMillan and Ryan Shazier, well, that's not now Washington's fault. And then the guy who was that Baron Browning, had his career sort of in the moment a little bit derailed by having Bill Davis at the beginning of his career. And I think Al Washington really helped Baron Browning get back on track. It's one of those things, Stephen, when you say like Baron Browning looks great at the senior bowl, part of me is like, yes, well done, Ohio State. And part of me is like, then why did he look like an All-American here? So that's a hard thing to wrap your head around. That's good, but also it's a little bit of like, that's what we waited for. And you've said this several times, Stephen, you still think like Baron Browning may be one of those guys who's a better pro than a college player in terms of production, which then it's not an indictment of Ohio state, but it's kind of on Ohio state. Like this guy was here for four years and he was never first team, all big 10. Like what happened? But I would not blame Al Washington for that. I would blame Bill Davis, who is the guy that Baron Browning had for the first two years of his career, who never figured out what to do with him. And then Baron Browning, I think was behind a little bit. So it's just a hard grade for Al Washington then. Yeah. I think with Baron, especially, I think sometimes when you're in, in, in a situation where you're trying to develop a full complete player, Jeremy Rucker probably falls under this guideline too. a guy who has a clear thing that he's a, probably a superstar at Baron Browning off the edge as a, as a rushing linebacker is probably a superstar at that. He could probably have done some things Michael Parsons had done had he been in that type of role. Just like Jeremy Rucker could probably go to Iowa and win the Mackey Award. But when you're here and you're not necessarily the focal point and they're trying to develop the complete player, like Al Washington was quoting some of these tweets, going, look, he can do this, he can do that and that because he's a complete versatile linebacker. And that is true. But sometimes you sacrifice what made that kid a five-star in the first place in the route of getting there, which is why – he probably fits that bill of a guy who was going to be a better pro than he was a college player, better than maybe Michael Thomas even, because that's just two different human beings. This is a guy who had it and should have, who who had the expectation of being that in college was never able to do that. And now all of a sudden he's going to be that at the NFL level. And it's hard. Baron Browning was a five-star recruit who had like a four-star career. I think he didn't have a five-star career. He's not a bust. I mean, he played a gazillion snaps at Ohio State, and he was like basically a starter or co-starter for three years. So he was a very productive player. He just had such high expectations. In the end, for Al Washington, 59% B, so quite a bit more B than A. 34% A, 7% C, the overall grade is a 3.25, which is a solid B+. So I probably would have given him a B 
realizing that the, the recruiting at linebacker is coming, but it's not quite here yet. Before we leave Al Washington, remind people, Stephen, of exactly who we're talking about with the linebackers that are coming in 2022 that a lot of credit is going to go to Al Washington for. Yeah, and I've seen two of these three in person. That starts with Gay Powers, the number 33 player, the number two outside linebacker in the country out of Marysville, Ohio. He looks every bit of 6'4", 220 in real life as well. He's a little bit of a freak. And then you've got C.J. Hicks, 6'4", 218, the number 38 player, the number three outside linebacker in the country. I think he's probably going to be a five-star by the time they come out with those final rankings that usually come out maybe two or three months after the early signing period. I think he'll be a five-star by then because he just looks like he has that level of talent. And then Hassan McCullough, who's technically an Ohio native, his father is the running backs coach for Kansas City Chiefs right now. So he lives in Kansas. He's number 54 player and the number six athlete is how he's classified. But he's going to play linebacker here. That's the freak of the group. That's the guy where right now he's 6'5", 220. He projects out as a linebacker, but everybody keeps comparing him to Isaiah Simmons. This guy might end up as a defensive end. He might end up as a strong safety. He's kind of all over the place. So those guys – and then obviously Reed Carrico in 2021, who's already here, and then the guys from 2020, Cody Simon and Mitchell Melton. There's a, a clear reload with some guys who actually bring some versatility to the table. And I think we talked about with Al Washington, sort of like a lot of times with these assistants, you want to see him go get a guy, right? That Gabe Powers is probably going to be here. Yeah unless Ohio State screws something up. C.J. Hicks is probably going to be here unless Ohio State screws something up. Yes, Desan McCullough has these Ohio roots because his father is a coach and they lived in Ohio for a while. Mm -hmm. But everybody wanted that guy, and he's not here right now. He's not a slam dunk, even though he has a relationship with C.J. Wright. Mm -hmm. Like, that showed me something. They had an in, but it wasn't a sure thing. If Al Washington is, is a big part of let's, let's nail down Desan McCullough, that pops a little bit. So I do think Al Washington, I, I, a lot of these guys, part of it too, is even with Kerry Combs, I still think there's like an upside there that like, I think Kerry Combs can show something more as a defensive coordinator. I think Al Washington has a lot of, I think we're just scratching the surface. Who knows how long he stays because when you get really good, he's going to want to be a coordinator. He's going to want to be a head coach. So he maybe won't stay forever, but I think Al Washington is like a really good guy to have on this staff. To credit um, him to that point. He got Desan McCullough so locked in that they had to tell him to hold off. He had Desan McCullough ready to commit in April, May, June, and they had to slow his roll a little bit and make sure he was. this is really what he wanted, which is why it took until August for him to do that. So for him to build that level of a relationship with a national guy is pretty impressive. All right, we'll come back. We'll wrap up. We have the overall grades for the defensive staff. We'll compare it to what you guys said about the offensive staff. Wrapping it up, the Ohio State defensive assistance here on Buckeye Talk. All right, back with overall grades for the defensive assistance. For the offensive assistance, it was 54% B, 46% A. So basically split between A and B for the offensive assistance. We're now doing the defensive assistance. Nathan, do you think overall did the defensive assistance grade out lower or higher than the offensive assistance as a whole? Lower. Steven, do you agree with that? Yeah, lower. I wouldn't be surprised if D got double digit, double, double percentage digit votes, honestly. So it wasn't that bad, but it's much more, it's, it's between a B and a C instead of a between a B and an A. So actually in the end, it, it's not that bad. 75% said B, which is pretty high considering what I think people thought of the defense this year. 19% C, 5% A, 1% D. 
because it is weird when you get around to it, when you start thinking about it sort of broken down like this. They love Larry Johnson. Who doesn't love Larry Johnson? And I think people really like Al Washington. And then they like Kerry Combs. They like like two-thirds of his job. So then it's like, well, what are, when you're grading the coaches, right? And again, Nathan, it's sort of what we talked about. There's a grade when you're grading the defense versus when you're grading the defensive coaches. I think people would give the defense a C or a D this year, but they gave the defensive coaches a B or a C, which I actually think, Nathan, might be the right answer, which is, again, reflective of the idea that much of the issues this year was a little more about talent, and a lot of that talent acquisition is not on the current defensive assistants. It was still a little bit of the remnant of Tabor Johnson, Bill Davis, Greg Schiano that was still being dealt with in 2020. No, I, I think that's a fair way to look at it at the end of the day. I mean, the way I've done it is just, you know, averaging my grades together. So I came up with, you know, two A's, two C's. So that comes out to a B. Um, but I, I do think in this case that that might be a tougher way to do it just because you do have to factor in what they were working with from the, from the beginning. It's like, you know, um, if, if you have a kid move in in the middle of the year, how are you grading him as opposed to the, the guy who was there from day one, if you're grading him for the same material on the final or something like that? Yeah, as I was thinking this over and going through my grades, I kind of talked myself into thinking this defense was actually better than we thought it was going to be. I mean, I'm going, going through these scores. The only one that when you look at this team put up this many points where you go, I can't believe that happened was Indiana. I think everybody else coming into the season did about what you thought they would do. Even Rutgers given, especially how they got there, a bunch of trick plays and a bunch of crazy stuff that just did, you, you wouldn't try in a normal situation. I mean, Nebraska 17 points makes sense. Penn state before the season, even going into that game, we all thought it would be a competitive game. Them scoring 25 really didn't, that's not that surprising given at that point in the season, 12 Michigan state, 10 Northwestern, and then Clemson and Alabama both put up some points. I think this defense was probably better, but you know, I guess they gave us some big plays, but I just think they were a better defense than we give them credit for given the scenario, given the circumstances of the talent and how the season played out. Yeah. The stats aren't kind. The raw stats aren't kind and they yeah. didn't have Chase Young or Jeff Okuda. You know, that, that really is what it comes down to a lot of it in this grading. And people know, people know what they think about the defense, but I do think again, perhaps the harder you look at it, I think Steven, there are people who are like, you know what? I mean, sort of what we're saying is like, it wasn't, it's not, here's the thing. It's not like this defensive staff is filled with incompetent people. Right, which is what it felt like in 2018. Yeah. As people in 2020 were saying, oh, this feels like the 2018 defense. By the end of 2018, it was like, this cannot stand. You cannot bring this staff back. This is not the level of competence that is demanded at a place like Ohio State. I do not think that's where this defense is right now. They need to get a little better, give Kerry Combs another year, see what happens. But otherwise, that's not where they are. And I just want to say real quick, like a lot has been made about the fact that they ranked like 120 whatever in – total in passing defense but that's again that's just yardage which really gets skewed by two games they're yeah. really three if you include the Clemson game which even the 400 yards they gave up to Clemson they really made them work for those 400 passing yards and and stuffed them on the run so can you guys hear my dog I don't know what his problem is um but but so to me I would go instead by like the quarterback efficiency rating which they were in like the 50s I think that's a better reflection of the passing defense which still wasn't like good but wasn't like a catastrophe I think a good texture question would be if you could only add one of them, not both, just one of them, either Chase Young or Jeff Okuda to this defense, who would you add? 
Yeah, I'd add Chase Young, but but I, I think it's an interesting it's an interesting. I would point. add Chase Young, no question. Um, I know, and I, yeah, I, I agree, but I just think both of them were equally awesome, and they right. got to be even more awesome because they had each other. So you had to hold on to the ball a little bit longer because that's Jeff Okuda. But also, there are some times you probably had to get rid of it quicker than you needed to because that's Chase Young, and then now it's an interception or it's a bad play. Yeah. Well, I'm trying we, to figure out who I, – I feel – I just think there's an argument to be made that if Jeff Okuda was in that secondary, this defensive, these defensive ends would have gotten home a little bit longer, a little bit more than they did. And you bump everybody down. Jeff Okuda becomes the number one corner. Now Sean Wade yeah. maybe isn't on an island, whatever. But so, so but back – and there probably is a reset on some defensive ideas we can still do. But, but back to the assistance here. Mm-hmm. There is an opening here, which is defense different than offensive side of the ball. Um, so, oh, I think, I don't know if I gave the answer then. Did I give the answer of, of how they graded out? Oh, so clearly, yes, the offensive side of the ball, those assistants overall got a higher grade than the defensive side of the ball, but the, but there is a defensive hire to be made here, which is interesting. So we've talked about that. I just want your reaction to what the texters said, which type of assistant would you target to replace Greg Madison as the fifth defensive assistant? These were the two choices I gave a veteran coach who can be a co-defensive coordinator or a younger up-and-comer who will only be a position coach. Now, that's not actually the only two choices. You could hire a young up-and-comer who is also whatever. But if those two, Nathan, what do you think they picked? Young guy up-and-comer or veteran to come help run it? I think they probably picked young guy up-and-comer because I think in their mind that means more – it maybe has a bigger recruiting impact. What do you think, Stephen? I think veteran because the recruiting is fine and the development is also fine. It's the scheme that was the issue. They picked younger, two to one. 64% young up-and-comer, 36% veteran coach who would be a defensive code coordinator, which, again, goes back to, okay, well, again, if everybody was actually freaked out about Kerry Combs, you'd be thinking more of, like, we need, a, we need scheme help. We need scheme help. And that's not where they are. Steven, I think you make a good point. I mean, it's not like – but it's also a little bit what we talked about. Well, if Larry Johnson's not going to be here forever, yeah. and be, you know, it's one of those things, it would be great to get another – coach who might stick around for five or six years and really do some good things. So I think it could go either way. I don't know which way Ryan day is going to go. I also asked this question about the hire given the current state of the program and the assistance, how important is this new hire for Ryan day and replacing Greg Madison? Basically it's what I always give. There's a middle answer. And then the two ends, is it, is it super important? It's a chance to hire someone who vastly helps improve the defense is it moderately important that the defensive staff could use a little shot in the arm in either scheme or recruiting, or is it not that important? They'll get somebody good regardless, and there are plenty of good assistants here already. I'll tell you this, moderately won. Moderately always wins. Moderately got 61%. And then between super important and not important, one got 32% and one got 8%. Steven, which one do you think got 32%? Super important or not that important? Not that important, and that's what I would have voted as well. Nathan, what do you think? Which got 32? I think that might have – yeah, I, I, think, I think that's probably the one. Super important got 32. What is wow. happening here? 32, <laughs> super important, 8%, not that important. So it's one of those things. I think it could be both. I think you could just get somebody who's fine, and then it's fine. But you also have an opportunity to maybe get somebody who really – not shakes things up, but gives a shot in the arm. It is. Some of these answers, frankly, don't exactly match, right? That it's like, 
well, I'd hire this guy, but it's actually super important, but I still wouldn't hire, you know. So um, it's interesting. I, I'm very curious to see where they go. I don't think he's going to make a bad hire. Like, I really, I don't, he could. I mean, I, I could explain the way that I think you could make a bad hire. Like, if you just hire kind of like a recycled guy who you happen to know, and it's kind of like a not very, there's not a lot of ingenuity to the pick, and it's just a comfortable pick. Because again, like Corey Dennis is a comfortable pick. And that that might be comfortable for the program, right? And comfortable for the program. I'm not saying comfortable is bad. I'm saying you could have too much comfortable. So like Corey Dennis, you, you lost Mike Yersich, you hire Corey Dennis because like everybody knows him. Okay. You lose Jeff Halfley, you hire Kerry Combs, and everybody knows him. Okay. I'm not saying that's bad. But I'm saying I think it might be time for like, this guy has no connections to Ohio State. He's just great. That's, I'm, I think it might be time for that kind of hire. And if it's kind of like a familiar name that just slides in, I'm not sure that's the best thing for Ohio State. Nathan, you brought this up. We had this discussion was actually spurred by your poll questions that we asked, I think maybe even two weeks ago now. And we had such a good poll podcast. We didn't want to waste the last two assistant coaches. Then we did these two extra surveys, but we want to cover those two questions that you asked before we finish up the assistant coach discussion. What were those questions? So, yeah, we did, we did nine questions on that. And then questions 10 and 11, we lopped off um, because just we thought they would do what they did, which was lead to these two podcasts. So um, question 10 was which assistant coach performed best in 2020. And that was, you could pick from the whole staff, pick with the one guy on the whole staff who performed best in 2020 and what best and what performed was up to interpretation. So um, who do you guys think won? Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline. Brian Hartline, 44%. Nobody else more than 19%. Larry Johnson was second at 19%. Greg Studrawa, 16%. Who would you guys have voted for? Uh, you know what? I'm not so sure I wouldn't have voted for Greg Studrawa. Yeah. Because <laughs> like Olave and Wilson, I mean, the development of Chris Olave from a recruit into 300s into a probable first round pick is awesome. The well, fact that they that. got... The fact that they got Garrett Wilson, right, and that he is everything you thought he would be is awesome. But Thayer the key Munford, phrasing The key phrasing here was in 2020. The, the development and the level of mm -hmm. play of Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere, I still think, to me, is like the standout thing. The tackles are close, right? The, the Haskell Garrett and Tommy Togiai, I think, are very similar in a lot of ways to Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Frere and that they were – Good players that you kind of thought would be good, but you didn't realize they would be that good, right? And then both those are similar. And then, then I think the defensive ends were maybe not quite as good as you thought, but not bad. And I think the offensive interior linemen were maybe not quite as good as you thought they would be, but not bad. I think there's a lot of similarities between the offensive and defensive line, but I think I might say stud. I... I'd say stud because he had probably the biggest headache of anybody this year. I mean, first of all, before the season started, we were thinking about Nicholas Petit for like, what's going on here? Why is this five-star number one offensive tackle in the country? You know, how did, why, how did, how did he lose out to Brendan Bowen that last year? Is he a miss? We were saying that. And now it's, he was almost at an all American level this year. I mean, that's how six months later, how that narrative has flipped. Darren Munford was solid. Even though Harry Miller had some issues as a second year, player and first year starter when you threw Matt Jones in there I mean it was 
quality. He, Matt Jones, it, when you when you subbed that in, you didn't feel like you were missing anything because the five-star came off the field. And then at the end of the season, going through all those COVID issues, that Michigan State game right there is – I mean, if you're going to argue any case for why Shadrawa had the best season of any assistant coach, that's the game to do it because Justin Fields probably should sack six or seven, or seven times in that game. And the running game are- shouldn't have existed. You guys are talking me into Stu Drawa a little bit. He would have still, I think, been second on my list. I would have voted Larry Johnson number one. Um, you know, we we talked about Jonathan Cooper being kind of like just a a a, a, a one of those guys. It's like you know a a, a a leader from depth almost. We didn't think he would be even that high in rotation. He becomes you know a, a second team All American. Haskell Garrett gets shot in the face like weeks before the season and becomes All American level player. Um, I, I just thought he. That, that was maybe the position group that surpassed my expectations the most. So I would have probably voted him number one. And then question number 11, which assistant coach has the biggest challenge for 2021? And there was a runaway winner here, and it's not actually the person that I would vote for as I think having the biggest challenge, but I might have different reasons. First of all, who would you guys vote for? Which assistant coach has the biggest challenge for 2021? Brian Hartline. Why do you say Brian Hartline? I think the easy choice is just to keep doing what he did last year because it's going to work. But also, I think there is a world where that can backfire in recruiting and maybe even throw off the room if some of these guys can't get on the field. So you think it's like ego management, playing time yeah, kind in of a, stuff? In a normal – I think last year you had the excuse of, one, those were the only two guys with any experience, but also that everybody else lost the spring in a normal season. So you could just throw those two out there and you knew it was going to stick. I don't know if that is necessarily going to work this time around with guys still being willing to stick around. I would love to hear what the other Ohio State assistant coaches think about the idea that Brian Hartline has the toughest job to do in yeah. 2021 with the talent I, yeah, he has. I, in that I, room. I know. I, I just. <laughs> oh, no. Brian has to balance all yeah. five stars. Yeah, there's definitely. He's got it's, two it's, All-Americans where you only need to use two players. Yeah, my, What's my he going to do? My argument is definitely he's too rich. What is he going to do with all this money? But, yeah. you know, listen, when you start forgetting about parts of your house, people start breaking in and stealing stuff. I would have three candidates. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> we didn't have a whole podcast about just that analogy. analogy. I don't know. I've never heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> I have plenty of times. I would have three candidates, none of whom would be Brian Hartline. I would say one candidate is Tony Alford in trying to figure out what you're going to do with the existing running backs while working in two true freshmen that you think at least one of them are going to play a role right away. But I probably wouldn't vote for him in the end. One is Corey Dennis, who I think is obvious, but then it factors in, well, how much is it really Corey Dennis and how much is it Ryan Day? It is interesting when we had the, the Matt Barnes, Corey Combs, uh, Kerry Combs discussion, like Matt Barnes is to Kerry Combs, kind of how Corey Dennis, Dennis is to Ryan Day. Yep. Except that, Matt Barnes actually sort of has like the assistant secondary coach in his title. It's like if they called Ryan Day the quarterback's coach, like we on the Michigan podcast, we said Jim Harbaugh is head coach slash quarterback's coach. If Ohio State's staff directory said Ryan Day, head coach slash quarterback's coach, Corey Dennis, assistant quarterback's coach, I think we would view things differently, possibly. I might be less harsh on Corey Dennis, Except that's not his title. He's not the assistant quarterback's coach. He's the quarterback's coach. 
except we kind of assume that in reality, it might be more like he's the assistant quarterbacks coach, right? So that, that affects the name of the, the title affects how we view it. So I probably also would not say Corey Dennis for that reason. And I'd probably say Kerry Combs for all the reasons we discussed on this podcast already. I think you could also, uh, among the the strongest candidates, I think you could throw out Washington in there. They're, they're going to be using th- completely unproven talent at, as their whole linebacker core this year. So I think that that's a fringe candidate. Um, I would have voted for Corey Dennis uh, simply because I feel like this is the first year where I, I understand what you're saying, Doug. And I think I even agree with that perspective, but this is the year where if it, if it isn't right on day one, if it's like a mess, people are going to blame Corey Dennis as much as they blame Ryan day. He's in a no one situation. Almost. That's actually almost a good way to look at it. Like how much credit is he going to get if it's right? People are going to say, well, Ryan day really picked the right guys and look at what he's done. But if it's wrong, people are going to say, well, of course, I mean, they just shouldn't have hired Corey. I I see. I definitely see that perspective. So I would have voted for Corey Dennis, but um, our, our texters strongly agreed with Doug 73% Kerry Combs, the number Hmm. one, and Corey Dennis, 17%. So 90% of the vote went to those two guys. And then just a smattering of votes. Like uh, Matt Barnes, Brian Hartland only got two. Greg Madison got zero. And that was before – that was when he was still on staff, obviously. Obviously, he doesn't have that hard of a job in 2021 because uh, he doesn't have a job in 2021, as far as we know. Uh, good luck to him and his well-deserved retirement. But um, it really just a smattering of votes after you get past those top two guys. So um, I think that, that – I mean – if, if Ohio State wins a national championship or even contends for one in 2021, it's going to be because they fixed, they figured out the quarterback, they got the quarterback thing right, and because they fixed some things on defense, right? Or at least, like, sustained something, stabilized something on defense. And so I think that's reflected in those two votes. Nobody ever feels sorry for the rich until everybody gets together in a Reddit file and, <laughs> you know, invest in something. That's been really fascinating to watch actually these last couple of days. Like I don't understand like high finance that much. I'm, I'm pretty good at like personal finance, but I don't like speculate on stocks, but that's been kind of hilarious to watch this week. I mean, is, who is, who's getting screwed because when people are making money, somebody's losing money. Is it rich that people. regular people are making yes. money and yes. rich people are losing money? And that's never okay. In it's theory, only allowed, yeah. yeah. It's only allowed to be the other way around. I mean, I'm sure there's still, there's somewhere there's a, there's a rich guy getting his piece of this too i mean there's some rich somebody who has some wealth is doing the speculating too but um that that's what kind of started it was like the common guy um banding together and and just yeah screwing over some of these hedge funds but i don't understand any of it i mean there's a part of me that like yeah i could give a whole rant about like stock market and stuff but nobody wants to hear that and i don't really understand it if people really understood it it would be a great construct for like looking at a college football roster like who would you short and who would you speculate on that kind of thing well you've done that on the market down monday for a while you were doing like who would you buy and sell yeah yeah Yeah. so yeah we could get back to that if first if we could have someone explain the stock market to us and then we could do a football stock market podcast. I'm sure we'll get Harry Miller on. I'm sure this yeah. is one of the many things that he could talk for two hours about with a lot of intelligence and we'll have him come on and talk about it. And then, then we'll, yeah, then it'll be a staple. I can just ask how much stock of Garrett Wilson can I buy before it's irresponsible? Oh yeah. No, but Garrett Wilson, if you think Garrett Wilson's like Apple, then there's no amount. It's like, just get all you can, know. I guess. I don't right? know if I'm buying stock and is Garrett Wilson going to win the Heisman. I think Chris Olave going out the window killed any type of oh, argument yeah. I had for that. Well, Thanks, that's, Chris. That's, 
that's a future podcast. The fact that like, hey, a receiver won the Heisman for the first time in 30 years. That means it's going to happen again the next year. It's like, okay, well, that's, no. that's not how this is going to go. Um, so we, we did have two other survey questions, but I realized I kind of screwed the one up. So for the texters who did this, I, I apologize. I meant to do two ranking questions, and the second one I didn't do a ranking question. I, it, it was just a straight up, like, pick your answer question. So we'll finish with this just for the offensive assistance. Rank the offensive assistance in order of how well – no, it's the defensive assistance. Rank the defensive assistance in order of how well they do their job. Just the four that are still on staff. Runaway winner, Larry Johnson was first. 1.04. That's basically everybody ranking him first. And then it went Al Washington finished ahead of Kerry Combs, which I was slightly surprised by, 2.3, Kerry Combs 2.9, and then Matt Barnes was last for most people at 3.76, mostly because they're not exactly sure what he does. So we kind of knew that. I do think the most interesting thing here is, in the end, as we depart, Stephen, I think there's still a little bit of a muddled view on Kerry Combs. I think I would maybe express it in the end as like, a little frustration. They think the defense needs to be better. But in the end, there's not that many people who are actually out on the guy. When we put it down to like, listen, if it's either defensive coordinator or lose them all together, only 8% of the people said lose them all together. So I get it. And I think the defense does have to be better. But as we always say, just again, is it fireable? And to me, no, that's, it's not even close to that. It's not, it's not make a huge change. It's just get better at what you do. But did you, do you have a sense now, right now, Stephen, of where our texters and listeners are on Kerry Combs? Or are you still a little muddled there? I think what this boils down to for Kerry Combs in 2020, his job was to not make things worse than they already were. And I think he succeeded at that. I think the defense reached its ceiling. It just was a very low ceiling that they had to reach. And so now that we've gotten through this ugly year where basically you were paying for a lot of recruiting misses, you can in some ways – kind of start from scratch you learn some things about some guys both young and old and you kind of have a a base to work with and so now I think you can start the judgment process basically the moment they take the field for mat drills and that, that's when that new judgment starts it's just get through the first year and he did that so now we can start really judging him and grading him I guess Nathan I want to ask again it's the this splicing between the defense and the defensive assistance because we're going to have the whole offseason to talk about the defense the defensive assistance with this big hire out there to be made in general, should people feel pretty good about this defensive coaching staff? No, I, I think it's a solid coaching staff. I think it is. And I think at the end of the day, the, the staff grade is, is the most important thing as opposed to like individual grades. I think it's, it's, it's the collective is, is more important when you're talking about the staff cohesiveness, those sorts of things. Um, I was just looking though, I look at the scholarship chart that we updated. I think something like 11 of the 17 players that this secondary will be using next year, as far as guys who are currently still on the roster are sophomores or freshmen. So it, it, I am, I am intrigued by now that they, assuming they get a full off season and a conventional off season to prepare, does Kerry Combs have a little bit more trust in the young guys than he appeared to have this season? Cause I think he's going to have to. Yeah, I think there's a chance for some surprises. As we said, even like the sure things in the secondary aren't as sure as they normally are, right? So I think there's some room for some surprises there and room for a guy to sort of jump up and steal a job, maybe something like that. All right, 
Thanks for being part of it. I think we're moving on from assistant coaches. Well, we are. We've done Ohio State offense. We've done Ohio State defense. We've done Michigan. Make sure – I thought the Michigan podcast on Thursday was pretty interesting. It was a, a dive, I thought, that matters to Ohio State fans. So if you saw that headline and you saw it in your podcast feed, make sure you're subscribed to Buckeye Talk so you don't miss it. And if you saw it and thought, I don't know if I care that much. I do think it fits in well in sort of comparison that, to the to Ohio State staffs. So I think it's worth listening to. Make sure you catch the offensive one at the beginning of this week. We'll come back Saturday pod. Still, again, we're on a Tuesday through Saturday schedule. You guys know that. Saturday pod coming. Not exactly sure what it's going to be, but it'll be something different than assistance. So we have a lot of stuff planned. We're going to dive in, I think, to the 2018 recruiting class, these fourth-year guys that are coming up. We'll get to that on the pod. We still have some really good rapid-fire questions from the rapid-fire this week that we haven't gotten to. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Try the text at 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan and Steven, I'm Doug. And that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.